From the Los Angeles Times, this is Can't Stop Watching, your TV faves on their TV faves. I'm your host, Yvonne Villarreal. On today's episode, we can't stop watching Nicholas Braun. He plays Greg Hirsch, also known as Cousin Greg, on HBO Succession. Nick tells me why he thinks this character stands by the very unlikable Roy family. Why does Greg want to surround himself with assholes? Why does he want to be in the asshole family? There's something compelling about the the world that they're in. But then I also just think it's human nature to be kind of magnetized towards indulgence. Greed, indulgence, money, private planes, all that stuff. Plus, Nick talks about how Succession changed his life and which popular nickname from the show he gets called the most. He also gives us a live performance of the punk rock antibody song he made up during quarantine. Here we go. Nick, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be here. Well, it's great to be at my computer with your face on the screen. Yes, we're looking at each other. Tell us uh, where you're doing this interview from. So I've been in Los Angeles since the beginning of March. I plan on coming out here for like a week to do some meetings for stuff. And then everything started going crazy. So I've, I've just kind of been holed up in friends' guest rooms. And this is my friend's back house. So yeah, it's been kind of crazy just being not amongst my, any of my stuff for three months, you know, just kind of like living in temporary environments. But but it's been good. I mean, it's been good bonding for me and my friends uh, to go through this together. So, What kind of guest are you? Are you the kind that like is so worried about touching anything or eating anyone's food or like having the bed fully made as soon as you get out? Like what kind of guest are you? I'm definitely on the paranoid, like well-mannered side of things. I make my bed every day. I mean, they've never at this location, you know, my, this friend's house, they've never come back to like check if I'm a slob or anything like that. Um, but I still feel this guilt of like, I got to make my bed. I got to clean up. Like I got like a little red devil. What do you call it? Like mini vacuum so I can like get crumbs off the tables and things like I'm really intense about it. I also feel like I just don't want to overstay my welcome. You know, I'm, I'm always checking with them like, hey, just so you know, you can kick me out this week or just say the word. I'm gone. Well, before Succession came along, you were living in San Francisco making music with your brother and in self-isolation, you've tapped into that musical side. Please talk to me about the Antibody song. Wow. Um, so I was sitting here at this very desk, like most nights, not knowing what to do or think about. And everyone was talking about, starting to talk about the antibodies and how like, if you've got the antibodies, you're safe. And so I kind of, since the beginning of, Corona times, I always thought like, like talking about the virus all the time is sort of punk rocky, like the virus is coming, like watch out for the virus. But I thought, you know, that's just a funny thought for my brain. And then antibodies came in. I was like, antibodies is more positive. Like we're looking to the future. Antibodies signifies that you had a tough time, but you're on the good side of it now. So I was like, this kind of works like, like a love song about if someone's got the antibodies. So so the lyrics being, do you have the antibodies? Do you want to be with me? Do you have the antibodies? Because if you don't, you better stay away. And I don't know what accent that is, but that's just how it came out. 
It's so damn catchy. <laughs> and people like were sending you videos, right? Of them singing along? Yeah, they were. They sent me a lot of videos. People took those lyrics and, you know, they changed the melody. They changed some things, but they kept the do have the antibodies hook um, and made a lot of really good renditions of it. So that's been a fun project. I put out some more lyrics and then I actually, Atlantic Records, an A&R from Atlantic Records hit me up and he was like, hey, this is really funny, but also, do you want to make the song? And so I've just made it with Atlantic Records, and we're going to put it out at some point, you know, in the future. And I shot a music video this weekend on my iPhone, so. You're lying. Is this true? This is for real. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what do you think Greg would be doing during quarantine? What would Greg be doing? Um, I mean... If there was like a safe quarantine pod amongst the Roy's, he would certainly quarantine himself, test himself thoroughly, excessively so that he could be safe to them. I think Greg would never want to potentially get Logan sick. So that would be his priority is, is making sure he just doesn't do anything. He probably would get super paranoid and, and wipe down groceries and you know, wear, wear gloves around the house even maybe. Yeah, Greg would go a little nuts about it. I also think like he'd be the one they would all make go outside and fetch all the things that they need so that they don't have to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just as he's on day 13 of a two-week quarantine, they'd be like, Greg, can you go to Best Buy and get some? And he'd have to like, yeah, go, go into the thick of it. Go into the thick of it. Well, I mean, Two seasons in, heading into the third, when things can pick up. Tell me what it is like to be an actor on Succession. Like, how would you say this show has changed your life? It certainly has. It's just one of those jobs where there's just a lot of great aspects of it, you know? So this is one of those things where everything just feels good. Like, it all works. You know, you go to a table read at the beginning of the season and and the scripts are really good. And so you love getting all the scripts every time, you know, you, you get a new one, you start a new episode, and then you go to set. Every crew member is so involved, so creatively, like, concerned. And, you know, they start to understand your character. They start to understand how you work, you know, and, that, and, and then it feels good working on the scenes on the day. We have a lot of fun making the show. As dramatic as it sometimes gets, like, it's really rewarding to work on. And it feels like it challenges you creatively. And then when you watch the show, you know, all of that is, is in it. But what is it like walking down the street and like people, what do they tell you when, you when they see you? And how often is it Greg versus Cousin Greg? It's mostly Cousin Greg um, or it's Greg the Egg. <laughs> Greg the Egg really stuck for people, which must mean that I have an egg-shaped head. Uh, and I never knew that. Um, I mean, people are really excited. You know, they're super into Greg. They're super into the show. They all have theories, you know, what Greg is going to get and how far he's going to go. And people like that Greg is, he's the most naive character in the show. So I think people like seeing him get thrown into this world. But yeah, it feels good to have that kind of reaction to something. People are just like stoked to talk about it whenever you, you meet them. 
Well, as you say, like, Greg is the naive uh, character in this show. When we first meet him, he's sort of fumbling to get into the inner circle of his great uncle, who's media mogul Logan Roy. And the second season, he's sort of, you know, integrated, but he's still bumbling. um, But he knows how to play the game. And we saw hints of that in season one, but more in season two. So how is it to sort of see him develop this conniving side? And do you know how much more we see of that in season three? Or what do you hope to see in season three? I think it makes a lot of sense how he's changed. I always saw him from the pilot to be a guy who is ambitious but doesn't know how to properly execute. So I think it's been really fun to figure out how can Greg sort of fail his way upwards and learn from his mistakes, learn from watching, and slowly kind of acquire the skills that match his ambition. I think it's been pretty fun, you know, him trying to blackmail Tom was a nice moment in that where he's sort of, he's ready to blackmail someone, but he's not sure if he's doing it at the right time or in the right way, but he's just exhausted enough from a day of like being paranoid about getting killed by a shooter that he's ready to do it. So I think it's been, yeah, I think the journey has been good thus far. And I think, I hope that we continue to see Greg trying to acquire more skills like that. Because do you think he has the capacity to be as strategic and slick as his cousins or his uncle? Do you think he can be that kind of Roy? I don't know if Greg will ever be slick. Um, Can he be cunning and advantageous, I think so, but it'll be hard for him to be slick doing it. (laughs) Good point. Um, What would you say is the challenge in playing Greg? I think kind of in line with what we're talking about, like you don't want him to be too smart because he's still learning and you don't want him to be so dumb that it makes no sense that people don't keep him around. So it's about always finding what's that middle ground where Tom actually sees him as valuable to him but Tom also bullies him and puts him beneath him. You know, Logan calls him into his office sometimes. Logan has private moments with Greg where he actually seems like he likes him. So what makes Greg likable to a guy like Logan, you know, an immoral, basically, CEO of a massive company? What does he see in him? Also, you know, he's just totally green. So for me, it's always just fun trying to balance those two sides, being an amateur and then also being seen as, like, a potential successor or a potential, like, important piece of the family. Well, and Greg turned down a quarter of a billion dollars from his grandfather. What were your discussions like with Jesse about why why he would turn something like that down? Why he's so interested in becoming part of this inner circle of Logan Roy? Yeah, I think it's kind of the reason why we watched the show. A lot of it was said in the press about the first season, like these people aren't likable, you know, they're they're assholes. And I think for Greg too, it's like, he knows that. Why does Greg want to surround himself with assholes? Why does he want to be in the asshole family? But there's something compelling about the world that they're in and that there's hope. I don't know if Greg believes that all of a sudden they're going to maybe be morally correct someday. But I think Greg likes to believe that he might be within that, 
that he might actually be a straightening force, maybe. But then I also just think it's human nature to be kind of magnetized towards indulgence, like greed, indulgence, money, private planes, all that stuff, you know, and he doesn't come from a lot of money. His family didn't get doled out a ton of money. So I think he's he's drawn to some of that and it's hard to quit it. I think he's in the entourage and it's like, well, why leave now when there's so much upside? This episode is brought to you by Watchmen on HBO. Set in an alternate history where masked vigilantes are treated as outlaws, Watchmen embraces the world of the original, groundbreaking graphic novel of the same name while breaking new ground on its own. Starring an ensemble cast led by Regina King and Jeremy Irons, NPR calls the limited series a masterpiece. Emmy eligible for outstanding limited series and all other categories. More on that sort of the life of luxury, like since doing the show and getting a glimpse into it, what has fascinated you most about what that life is like? Yeah, the amount of sort of vehicles they have, boats, planes, a fleet of cars, um, drivers, security. I mean, that's a pretty cool thing. When we get to roll through Manhattan or when we went to the congressional hearings, you know, we went through Albany and we had like a police motorcade and 15 Escalades. And that feeling is, even though we're acting, you know, you still feel like, oh, wow, they're shutting down streetlights for us. And we're rolling right up to the curb. And there's the media there and people with signs and everything. And and I think Succession does a really good job of like, they give you all the toys to make it feel as close to real as, as they can. So, so it does sometimes, you know? Well, Because of your background in music, how bummed were you that Jeremy Strong got to rap on the show? (laughs) That was an incredible moment. That was just amazing. I remember the day that he was filming that. We were going to film it overnight in Dundee, Scotland, at this museum that we shot in. And he brought me into his trailer before we went to set. And he was like, dude, what do you think? Like, how is this? In a way, it was like calling Greg in to be like, how is this, Greg? Like, And we both kind of believed that they would have rehearsed this together. Like, Greg would have helped tune up Kendall a bit. And so he played it for me, and we just, like, raged in his trailer and shook the whole trailer. And we were, like, I'd never heard the beat. I never heard the lyrics. And I was just going for it. So when we actually got to set, it was hard to contain that. And I think you can probably feel some of that in the scene, that I'm just so hyped for my boy. <laughs> who gave me an apartment. I was really hoping Greg would eventually just get up on stage the way he was bopping to it was so good. I think we did, or maybe we tried, we tried something, but it's Kendall's moment. Like, and it, and it was really awesome to witness all night long. It's so good just seeing Brian Cox's reaction as it's happening too. He's just like, what's happening? Just stunned. You can't really read it. There's a little part of him that looks like, okay, my boy's doing something kind of special here a little there's a little part of him well on that same token like tell me what you think 
when you hear the Succession theme song. Because, like, for me, I just picture that Kermit video, and that is me. Like, I enter this trance where I just want to, like, I'm at a rave. How are you when you hear that song? Yeah, I love the Kermit video. That's one of my favorite ones. Nick Bertel is a genius. He's so good. All the music in the show is amazing. I feel like he creates these things that when you hear them, you you see the scene, like you remember the scene. But yeah, he's he's doing such a good job. Um, but I think when I hear that song, I don't see any imagery. I just feel like the sense of the show and, and it's dark. I mean, when you hear that song, you're like, I'm about to be in some uncomfortable shit here, which which is great. I love it. I love how he made that song. It's really good. I don't think it's a, a, a surprise that an element that people really love about this show is the dynamic between Greg and Tom. So talk about forming that relationship with Matthew McFadden, who plays Tom. Matthew and I hit it off pretty quickly. I think we both understood what we were doing with our roles, like kind of like right away. So I remember our first day together, it was during the pilot in the, the first scene where we were filming the scene where Logan's surprised by the whole family. And Tom and I both had gifts to give Logan. And Matthew and I just had a lot of fun playing with the sort of comparing of gifts and the wondering of, is your gift better than my gift? And and then we shot that scene out on the baseball field where he's like, what would you do if I kiss you right now? And that scene, I think we sort of understood, oh, we're, we're both going to kind of go for this. Like Matthew, you know, really got up on me and went on the offense. And, and I think we started to understand the dynamics so that, you know, episode two and three, when they started to give us more stuff and really funny stuff, like there was a scene in episode two where... I bring back the slippers to, to Logan and he's like, so you want to, you want to bang Marsha? And he and I couldn't really get through that scene. Like, I don't know if we ever fully got through a take without laughing. Cause I think we were so excited at like what this relationship could be and we don't want to screw it up, but then that makes it harder to not laugh, but it's been really fun. I can't wait to see where those two guys go. Yeah, because in season two, near the end, there's a lot of tension there. I mean, at one point, Tom is like slinging water bottles at Greg. I mean, what was that like, <laughs> dodging those water bottles? That was a great day, honestly. I had some bruises, but a great day nonetheless. I was glad to see their relationship get a little fraught. Greg needed to get out of there, get away from his abuser, but I think that they need each other. For some reason, they need each other. It's a little testy. And I hope there weren't too many takes with the water bottles. It sounded like it hurts. Yeah, it was really fun. I, I'll just say I didn't want that day to end. I could have had water bottles slung at me all day. So it was it was awesome. A lot obviously is made about the dynamic between Greg and Tom. But one of my favorite things to see on screen are the interactions between Greg and Logan. Like when Logan's like hurling like the curse words at him, like was there ever a point where it wasn't terrifying to be in a scene with Brian Cox? It always feels like very significant when I get to have an interaction with Logan. They're important for Greg. You know, those are like moments when he can level up or whether he lets himself down or lets Logan down. 
I'm always very excited to get to have those moments. They're usually one-on-one just because Greg is able to corner him sometimes. Brian is so fun to work with. He gives you such, you know, such a, like a visceral energy to play against. And he's also hard to read. I I always love the energy that we kind of have between each other. And then I also do think that there's a rapport between those two characters, like we were talking about earlier. Just for some reason, Logan sees something in him. And so there is a warmth which which I think is nice for Greg. It always makes me feel, me as Greg, feel like, like, oh, I'm supposed to be here. And I think Greg needs moments like that in order to keep going. Well, obviously the season two finale ended on quite the final moments with Kendall sort of throwing his dad under the bus. But the finale also started in a pretty epic way with your character, Um, giving his testimony before Congress. It is to be said, so it is. (laughs) This scene was like a surprise to you, I read, or like you weren't expecting it or something. Like, so talk to me about like having to sit there. Like, it seems like quite the scene to sort of be in front of all these people and being nervous and like not knowing what to say. I think I would be as nervous as Greg is in that moment. Yeah, that scene is another example of them giving us all the the bigness of the reality of one of these types of things. So like it really did have 200 extras sitting behind me and you had 50 senators sitting in front of you and the room was this huge congressional hearing room that they built that felt super sizable. So the room had all this energy in it and I didn't, know that I was going to give a testimony. So Jesse talked to me the night before and he was like, we're playing with the idea that Greg might be called to, to give a testimony. So, you know, here are the pages that we're thinking of. Do you think you could do this tomorrow so we could knock this out before going to Croatia? Because we were going to leave in a couple days, I, I think. I love that. I think like with Succession, like that kind of immediacy and that sort of like, and now your character's doing this is kind of what makes the show so great and on its toes and and it feels like people are genuinely being surprised in scenes and stuff and and I just think that's like the style and so I was like all right I'm gonna go home I'm gonna work on these pages the scene that we see in the show is cut down a bunch from what what we filmed but it's a great moment and I was like I want to do the walk from the chamber in the back and feel the cameras on you and I you know I watched some Mark Zuckerberg testimony to sort of like get a sense of an awkward guy in a room like this. It was really fun to just go for it overnight. What did you pick up on from watching Mark Zuckerberg? So with Mark, I felt like he had all these pre-planned sort of behaviors he was going to do in order to show how calm he was. And I thought that was a good thing for Greg to have. You know, I poured a water, like when I sat down, that Mark does the same, you know, does this thing where he like slowly untwists a bottle and everything is sort of this deliberate motion of like, I am totally calm being in front of you people and the world, you know, and so I wanted to give Greg some types of things like that, you know, whatever I could to make him feel like he's showing more confidence than he's feeling and to have eye contact with those senators to have like really firm eye contact will show them that you're not afraid and that you're not a liar and that you have nothing to hide. So that stuff I think I got from Mark. It's so good. You've been taking photos on the set since the pilot. 
is that your sort of way of journaling the experience? And, and what would you say those photos capture of what it has been like being on this show? Yeah, I think it is my way of journaling. I'm fascinated by sets. Like I'm fascinated by bringing a whole, you know, 10 trucks worth of equipment and things into a place and then 12 hours or 24 hours later, they're completely removed. Like I'm kind of fascinated by like the immediacy of making a thing somewhere. I try to capture moments that I'm like, this is a fleeting moment that we'll never have again. And it's because, you know, we're making making this show and luckily we're making a big budget show. So we're going to all these cool locations and shooting in Europe and shooting all over the place. And so it makes for great photographs. I don't know. I love the people that I work with. I love the cast. So I love sh shooting them. You hang around on set for six hours. I can't help but want to capture it and be like, remember that day when we were just, when we were doing this? Well, as you mentioned, the second season, you guys filmed in Croatia, Scotland, Iceland. So tell me what the cast outings are like. A lot of really good meals. And that is mostly due to Jeremy Strong's obsession with great cuisine. So he researches like months before we get to a place. And he's like, these are the six restaurants we have to go to in Scotland. You know, if we have a night where we don't have a super early call, we'll drive out to some uh, pub in the middle of England or Scotland or whatever and like go have some crazy good meal at this 300-year-old pub. So he's always got, guiding us towards the best spots and it's pretty great. So he's the foodie of the group. Oh, yeah. Well, you were supposed to get started on production for your limited series about WeWork during your hiatus after filming season three, but obviously things are sort of in flux right now. And you're slated to play WeWork co-founder Adam Newman. What status update can you give us? Have you been using this time to sort of perfect the accents and do all the research? Like, tell me about what's going on right now with the project. Yeah, well, Stephen Falk is our creator and lead writer. So he's working on the scripts. He's starting to dive into it. I've been doing a lot of research, talking to a lot of people that knew Adam, co-workers and friends and things, you know, as much as I can sort of gather. So I've been trying to learn about him and why he's the way he is. At the beginning of quarantine, I started learning Hebrew, but I didn't like learning through an app. So I think I, I got... I was like, I can't do this. I need to get a teacher. Eventually, you know, I'll start getting that, but it could be a while before we shoot the show. How are you feeling about being back on the set? Are you comfortable um, without a vaccine around? Like, are you sort of feeling like they wouldn't do this haphazardly? The, the guidelines must be uh, appropriate enough for me to go back. Like, how are you feeling? Well, I care more about other people being safe than myself. I'm pretty young, pretty healthy, you know, but I just, I want to make sure our older cast members are safe and crew members. I, I mean, you know, you got to just start thinking about how you're being physical with actors now. But I, I mean, I'm really hopeful that we'll figure it out and that, that our producers will figure it out. And I'm itching to get back to work. So it's hard to have one attitude about it. But also, we all love this job. We're all dying to get back to it and, and keep it going. So I trust that the people at the top are figuring it out and they'll know when it's safe. 
Have you read the first script for season three? No. I wish I could say yes. (laughs) Yes. Before uh, we let you go, we have a question for you from our previous guest, Gugu Mbatara, from the Apple TV series, The Morning Show. Here's what she wanted to know. What have you learned about yourself in this time? What did I learn about myself? I learned that I really hate working out. Um, I thought I knew that before when gyms were still a thing, but once you start trying to do push-ups on the ground and do sit-ups um, next to your bed, like it was a different kind of hate for working out. I really wish I could love it. Some of my friends were doing really well doing Zoom workout classes, and I would get on there and I just eventually started hiding from the camera lens so that they didn't see that I just wasn't doing anything. I don't know why it was just so upsetting. That was a major discovery, let's say. (laughs) I hear you. So now it's your turn. Our next guest will be Jim Parsons, best known for playing Sheldon on The Big Bang Theory. He can currently be seen in Netflix's Hollywood. What question would you like us to ask Jim? And it does not have to be related to the shows he's on. It could just be an actor-to-actor question. Okay, that's cool. Um, Hey, Jim, it's Nick here. Jim, what's the weirdest day you ever had on set? On any project, what is a memorably weird day? I like that. Well, Nick, thank you so much for your time. All that I ask, you know, before you get back to set, can you please use this time to now write a song for Greg to sing in the show? Something... Greg already had a song, um, didn't it go, uh, this one goes away, the other saves the day, or whatever? Chop, 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 chopping it up. That's true. We'll just put a beat to that. (laughs) A beat to it, yes, exactly. Well, Nick, thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Pleasure talking to you, too. Thanks. Thanks for having me. That's it for the 22nd episode of Can't Stop Watching. I'm your host, Yvonne Villarreal. Our producer is Paige Heimson, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin, and a special shout out to Elena Howe for booking the guests for this podcast. Come back tomorrow. We're talking to Jim Parsons. I have never been exposed to so many naked people at one time in my entire life. And I've been to gay bars in New York 15 years ago even. Not only were they surrounding us, we were in a scene where I had to talk about, talk about them. We were staring at them on purpose. If you like Can't Stop Watching, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Matt Brennan, and Clint Shaw. We hope you're enjoying this podcast created by the journalists at the LA Times. Right now, access to facts has never been more important and the Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Thanks for listening and see you tomorrow.